Hi there everybody, and thank you so much for tuning in to this very special episode of The Longest Night, a Game of Thrones show. For those of you who are regular listeners, I know you've been waiting a long time for this episode. We spoke to Miltosh back in February, then we announced the interview in March, and now we're finally broadcasting it at the end of April. Now, for those of you who are listening to us for the first time, thank you ever so much for giving us your time. Please let me explain what our show is usually like. My name is Rob, and I have watched every single episode of Game of Thrones at least half a dozen times. It is a show that is incredibly dear to me for very personal reasons, and I will love all of it until the end of my days. So when I heard that Lizzie, a friend of mine, had never seen a single episode of the show, I decided to take her through it all week by week. And you can find all of our episodes in our podcast feed. Please feel free to subscribe and stick around if you like. Or if you just hear from Miltosh and don't really have the time to hear mine and Lizzie's thoughts on every single Game of Thrones episode, then that's cool as well. Just thanks for stopping by today. There will be a part two of this interview that gets broadcast at the end of our episodes for season three. That will be at the end of May, beginning of June. This episode will feature part one of our interview with Miltosh, where we talk to him about his career, how he came to be on Game of Thrones, and his time on the show during season one. During part two, which I've just mentioned, I will be talking to him on my own about the later seasons and that will be out, as I said, after our episode for the season three finale. So that's enough out of me. I'm just going to play our usual titles now, and then the interview will start immediately after that. Please enjoy. Miltosh, thank you very, very, very much for joining me and Lizzie on the show. Um, it's a really, really huge honour to have you on. It's a pleasure to be here. It's always, a, it's always fun talking about Game of Thrones. I always say that it's because um, my partner hates me talking about it. She doesn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so it can be so your outlet. My only chance I can get to, to talk about it is great. So I'm very happy to talk about it with you. <laughs> Well, um, before we actually get into um, your, you know, your time on Game of Thrones and Game of Thrones itself, um, I was, I mean, you've answered, I'm sure you've been asked this question before, but how did you get into acting? What made you want to be on television, on TV or in films or anything, really? I don't think I ever did. I don't think I ever had the thought where I was like, I want to be an actor. I don't think that ever really occurred to me. I, I got into acting because it was the only thing I could do at school. I was uh, academically challenged to say the very least. I, I really didn't enjoy school. I had a terrible time up until I kind of went to university really. Um, and, uh, and amazing that I actually did go to university, but uh, I, I, uh, I really didn't connect. I was uh, flailing around, terrified, fish out of water. I just, I kind of felt like I was, I didn't really belong at school. So when I discovered school plays, that was the thing that connected me to school. That was the thing that I actually realised, oh, so there is a place for me somewhere. And and so that was how I got into acting. That was really the, the, the thing. But it, for me, it was always a hobby. It was, it was like my parents were from Cyprus. They'd uh, just arrived in the country. 
my mum was pregnant with me, heavily pregnant with me. I think I was about to drop on the on the on the ship. They got a ship uh, from Cyprus all the way to to um, to Southampton, and. I think the idea was that I was going to get born at sea and then they're going to choose my nationality and then we were going to go to America. That was kind of the plan, <laughs> but I balls did up because I was very late. I was two weeks late. So we arrived in Southampton and we were, we were working. My dad worked for my, for my, um, for my godfather who eventually became my godfather. He had a restaurant and my dad just worked as a dishwasher. So my whole, uh, I was brought up in restaurants. That's what my dad had, ended up having a chip shop in Eastbourne on the South Coast. And so for me, I was just going to take over the restaurant. That was the idea. You know, I started working there from a very early age. So um, so the idea of uh, being an actor was really so like far removed. I, we didn't know any actors. There was nothing that I could relate to apart from the fact that I enjoyed doing it. Um, and so I was, I was, I, I, I knew that I didn't really work it, want to work in the restaurant. I'd got already tired of, of it by the time I'd got to 16. But I thought the only way out is to do some further education. So I was going to go and be a good Greek boy and end up being a, a solicitor or a, an accountant or, a, you know, something like that. And I had an intervention. A friend of mine stopped me and said, Miltos, don't, don't go and try and do a subject like that. You're going to completely flunk out <laughs> you're gonna be terrible at it you're crap you can't even pass an exam so so it's not gonna work so but 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 go and do something that you love do a do a do a uh, like a, uh, a a three-year performing arts course you know something that I could I could actually get my head around um so that was kind of what I ended up doing and um and 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 that was really one of the most exciting parts of 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 my education should I say because I grew up in Eastbourne the things I did were like musical theatre and so that was my experience and then I went to uh, Leicester Polytechnic and did a three-year performing arts course and it was really experimental and the stuff I saw in my first year literally blew my mind eastern european really avant-garde stuff and that was kind of that set my that set my um the way i kind of saw myself as an artist right it, i was i didn't really think of myself as an actor i was interested in making art and and i were i did kind of you know performance art and i did i did everything that was basically not mainstream acting uh, for a long time and so that was my my that was my background i worked with uh, physical theater companies and with choreographers and that was where i got my dance skills which ended up becoming very important to my sword fighting skills it's the same kind of discipline um and so that's kind of the potted history of my of my uh, of my kind of a journey to becoming what I would consider a legitimate actor, whatever that means. But I, I, I was really, I, I played in the fringes for a good 10 years before I even got an agent. So I was, I was a real, you know, I was real fringe, fringe avant-garde experimental theater kind of person. Oh, wow. What a lovely story. That's um, yeah, that's fantastic. See, ask questions and you get great answers. It's uh... <laughs> Yeah, it's one of the beauties of doing stuff like this. Um, so you're in this position and I am most curious, I guess, to 
get into how you came to Game of Thrones in the first place? Like, did you see a casting call or how, how did you come to audition in the first place uh, to be on the show? Uh, I was very lucky because I knew Nina Gold uh, personally. She's a fantastic casting director because she really did the legwork. When she first started, she would go and see the most obscure plays above pubs in, in the middle of nowhere. And that's where she came across me doing an obscure play above a pub in North London. Um, and, uh, and I obviously made an impression because she, she, she would kind of follow me around and see stuff that I would regularly do. So, so when it came to, uh, luckily as well, I just got a new agent. Uh, I'd had one agent for a long time and then I just recently got a new agent and they, they, Obviously, Game of Thrones was a was a show that everyone was. They were looking for everyone. There were so many parts that they were, and because they were they were looking for unknowns, they they cast their their net very wide. So everyone and his dog were auditioned when it comes to British theatre actors and and you know that kind of uh, person. We all got auditioned, and I, my agent, got the breakdown. Nina Gold, knowing me and knowing my physical uh, uh, um, skills, um, but also that she, you know, she could rely on me. She got me in and she asked me to read for Lord Varys. And it was the scene in in the prison after Ned gets in, gets, you know, uh, uh, attacked by Jamie Lannister in the first season. Uh, and uh, it's Lord Varys coming to him, telling to, telling Ned to take the black and repent and say that, you know, it was a terrible mistake and they'll save your life and they'll sell you. For, you know, it was a great, great speech. And uh, Conleth Hill obviously did a much better job than me, but I did a good audition, right? They liked it and they realised that it wasn't uh, quite right. Um, so they gave me something else to read, which was Sirio Farrell. And one of the criteria was that they were looking for someone who had sword skills, which obviously is illegal because that's <laughs> illegal nowadays to have sword skills, unless you're like a professional sports spencer or something. So um, I, of course, went, yeah, of course I'm a sword. I, I know how to handle a sword. And I did because I'd done a lot of work at the Royal Shakespeare Company and we'd you know, the one thing that I was very, very good at, I may not have been great at speaking the, the verse, but I was really good at the sword fights because that was like, I could just pick up stuff really easily. And the fight choreographers loved me because they used to give me all the complicated stuff because I could just, you know, I just remembered it. You know, you give me some some um, patterns and I could, it was one of the th only the way my my brain is, is so slow in so many ways. But the one thing I can do is you can, you can show me something and I can, I can remember it really easily and replicate it physically so so um when nina gold said you know do you do you have sword skills i could honestly say that i did without lying um and uh and that was the first stage because they liked that enough for me to do it another five times i had to do that scene over and over and again you know every time for a different person for a different producer until it till it got to the stage where the Americans, Dave and Dan and the head of HBO, they all came over to London to meet us, the people that were like, you know, it was between me and one other person. And that goes with pretty much everyone that they were casting. And um, 
And, you know, that's when I really shat myself because I realized that I was really close to getting it. Up to then, I was like, I, you know, you don't think about this stuff because it really gets inside your head and it's not very healthy. Because if you, if you, um, you know, wished on every job that you got, got put up for, it would be very disappointing because, you know, most of the time you don't get get anything you don't even hear anything about about the jobs you go up for so so most of the time you don't think about it until you get close that close when the americans come to london you know <laughs> you know you're gonna brick it because you know that you're that close if you're that close it could go either way so you know as, as it turns out it, it turned out fine but but i have nina gold to thank for getting me into game of thrones because i i you know i had a little connection there well, me personally and Lizzie in a couple of years when we finish the show. Actually, it's not in a couple of years. It'd be uh, about 15 months between uh, now and I think when we actually finish the show. But uh, I have a lot to thank Nina Gold for. And uh, Lizzie will when the show is over. Um, oh, <laughs> for yeah. her anyway. Is it is it May 22? We're May, May 2022, yeah. That's yeah. Uh, when we're scheduled, you scheduled to it. Have you scheduled it all? Yeah, we're doing a weekly. Uh, we're trying to do it weekly with uh, two week breaks in between seasons to give the effect of uh, mm. space and time. Um, Very good. So once you landed the role and they say, hey, you know, you're going to play Syria for real. How do you go about preparing? Because um, I was speaking to um, our previous interview guest, who was Sam, who runs a lovely Game of Thrones podcast uh, called Crywolf. And she was also front and center of the Burlington Bar videos on uh, YouTube. And there was a huge reaction channel. And she is friends with uh, Kate Dickey. Yeah, I know Sam. I know Sam. I've oh, met her many wonderful. Yes, you will have done, America. of course. Yes. Um, and she was saying that, like, you know, she um, has a has seen a copy of uh, Kate Dickey's um, A Game of Thrones book, which has just got notes in it from all of Lysa Arryn's scenes in this in the first season. Um, did you do something similar? or Because I know there were some cast members who never read the books and wanted to go in it like just off the page. Uh, what about you? Yeah, I did get the book and I got the first book and I, and I used it as my research because it was, I mean... Uh, I really, I do, I do really understand. And the majority of the cast never read the books because they say it's, it's not helpful. It's not helpful because the books are not the same as a script and it can sometimes lead you down a, a, a blind alley or it can be a bit of a red herring. And so, so a lot of them, especially if you're doing, you're in for the long haul. It was different because I always knew that I was just going to do the first season, at least you know for the very, you know, the, there was no idea that he was going to, you know, have any other uh, uh, role. So, so for me, it was it was really important because you don't know very much about this character, and and a lot of it isn't, it you know, some of the backs. It's not a lot, but there is a bit in the book. Uh, where he kind of explains to Arya, you know, why was he the first sword and, you know, like what, what made him so special. And, and those kind of things are very telling in, in, in how he is as a teacher, the things that he has learned, the things that what gives him his experience and his gravitas. So it was really important for me to, to read that stuff because it filled in a lot of blanks. But I do understand why some actors don't when they, when they all they have is a script because it's very important how you plot how you plot your 
your your role it's it's harder the heart the smaller the part the harder it is because you've got to bring so much like i had to bring to that very first scene the idea that i was a man that was born with a sword in my hand you know it's like that is nothing to do with me i mean there's no amount of acting that i can really do to to convey that except on a purely imaginative you know just trying to 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 believe it just from a, a you know like if you're a child and you're play play acting it's the same thing you know you you have you do the research and then at the end of the day all you're left with is your instincts the difference of course with me is that I knew that I had to have some skills so I immediately as soon as I knew that I'd got the part I immediately asked my agent to, to speak to HBO to get me someone to train me and little did I know that they were going to get uh, William Hobbs who is like the greatest sword choreographer when it comes to period sword fighting. He unfortunately died a couple of years ago, but he was my mentor. He was the man who, who, who he had, he's done, you know, Google him, Bill Hobbs, William Hobbs. He has done him and Bob Anderson between the two of them has done, have done pretty much every single sword fight you've ever seen on film since the seventies. Well, um, so, as, a, as a bit of research for this, I watched an interview of yours from around nine or ten years ago. Uh, I think it was from 2012. And I rem- you mentioned him in that interview and some of the movies that he'd done and how grateful you were to to work with him. Uh, which is, yeah, yeah, I mean, what really a lovely. legend, an absolute legend. And he always came from the point of view of character, character. He, he will choreograph everything from a character's point of view. So for me and him, what we did is we cooked up the idea of what the water dance is because there's no description of it. There's some words he says, you know, it's it's not hacking and slashing. It's more, you know, it's like water and all of this stuff. But um, we had to we had to create a vocabulary that the stunt coordinator would then use to choreograph the, 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 especially the last, you know, the, the, the last fight uh, in episode eight. And, um, and so he, he was, yeah, he was really instrumental. And that, that is, uh, that is kind of where I, I began working on it. And the rest is, is is just instinct i my audition was that three and a half minute first episode that scene where i meet aria for the first time and when you learn a scene like that especially one that's so long because it's that's a long scene right i'm doing some screen tests at the moment and they're like half a page you know like they're nothing (laughs) and 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 uh and and learning that scene Obviously, I learned it. It wasn't just that I had to remember the words. It's that I had to remember a whole style of movement that goes with it. And just before we started shooting, it was one of the very first scenes that we ever did for the whole of Game of Thrones. It was one of the very first things we we shot Mm. for the the show. Um, And Dave and Dan said to me, you know, this is really important. This is really important, this scene, because it sets up Arya's character who is going to be in the show, you know, forever. It's like when Luke means meets Ben Kenobi. It's that kind of thing. That's that's the gravitas. So we're going to spend as long as, and it took us three days to shoot, mm. three and a half minutes scene. And um, and it was it was really important that they got the, the, the got it exactly right. Oh, luckily me and Maisie, a 13-year-old kid, 
we had great chemistry from the offset you know we got on so well and she was fantastic and we both did all the the fighting ourselves we never used our stunt doubles so so for me I asked um Dave and Dan I said how do you want me to play this character you know do you want him less flamboyant more flamboyant how much how much and they just went they just stopped me and went just do it the way you did it when you did the tape for us the very first tape that is why we cast you that is what we're looking for exactly as you did it and so and and it wasn't like there wasn't a lot of research you know when you do an audition piece it's literally it's it's purely instinct it's instinct and and that's how I did it I did it purely I just did an impersonation of my dad Oh well, I was I was actually going to ask who you based uh, the accent on. Um, yeah, my dad is my dad. Oh, my dad. that's that's really lovely. Um, I mean, you've kind of you've kind of answered this already, but um, it's I was going to say, were you afraid of? I was going to ask, were you afraid of being killed off early, just as the character sort of came into its own, and you know, fans started to get that rapport with Sirio Farrell? But then you you mentioned that you read the books beforehand, right? I, re- I certainly read the first one, and mm. uh, the it, it it appeared it seemed pretty clear that that you know what he does is that he sacrifices himself so Arya can live. Um, no, I don't. I'm not sentimental in that respect. I mean, obviously, when the show is a huge success and you realise it's going to run to eight seasons, that's when you go, oh, it would have been really. I remember Nina Gold going. We had no idea that you're only going to be in like the first mm. season. I, I, was, I was otherwise I would have put you up for a different part. <laughs> it's like <laughs> what? Yeah. What are you talking about? <laughs> so, so I, I was like, I was like, I was really shocked by that because, because as an actor, you know, sometimes you just go in and you just do one day. It's cool. That's what you do as an actor. You know, it's very rare that you get the the luxury of being part of a show where you get to develop character and and live in this world. You know, that's like that's for the that's for the the proper actors. You know, uh, I'm mm. a character actor. I come in and do cameos. That's like being my whole career is that I come in and I just do like these weird characters and, and then just kind of disappear again. So um, so I'm pretty used to it. So it's there's nothing. I, I was absolutely fine by it. To me, it's as we say, that's showbiz, right? That's just what we do. Yeah. Um, yeah, but of course, true. you know, of course you want to be uh, a bigger part and to mainly it's because it's easier when you have much more to do. You don't, you know, like I said, it's really hard when you have a small role because you have to bring so much and there's a huge expectation, especially a character like Sirio Farrell, which I realized from, I made a terrible mistake of going onto a fan uh, where, uh, a, f- a forum <laughs> oh. and uh, you googled your own name it's like finding out what they thought of of, of you know you know that the, the fact that this is before the show had come out you know they, they just people were excited that they knew it was being filmed and uh, I realized that Sirio Farrell actually was kind of a an important character uh, to them and had a whole kind of uh, you know, a, a whole th- whole theories about what happens to him and stuff. So I realised there was a little bit of expectation, but but once I'd kind of processed that, then the rest was just I just tried to do a really good job and try and be as faithful to the to the words that were written. 
And I was really lucky because, you know, he's talked about in the books, but you don't get a lot. You really get the first lesson and the last lesson in the book. You but Arias, Arias speaks about him a lot. So they had to create another episode, which is the one with the God of Death line in to to bridge, to bridge it, because they said we needed to see the character again because it was too long between the first time and the last time you see him. So so I got a scene written for me, you know, mm. completely out of the blue, which turns out to be a fantastic, you know, really sensational scene, which which obviously is going to be on my tombstone when I die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was there. Well, the thing is, like, you know, you have, I was thinking about this, you have three scenes in the whole show and it doesn't feel like that. I mean, I can say no, this no. with, I can say this with the gift of hindsight and everything, but like even just from watching the first season, I mean, when you first appeared on screen and Serio is there, I mean, I remember we were at, it's the end of the episode of Lord Snow. That's your first, uh, that's your first appearance where your wooden sword uh, stuff with Aya, uh, Ned is watching on and he, you suddenly hear the, the metal clanking. And I just remember like I was waiting for that episode to finish so that we could talk about it because I knew straight away that Lizzie would be just like because it's the same as everyone. Like Syria Pharrell is like in three scenes one of the most popular characters in the whole show. And <laughs> well there's not many honorable characters. That's also helps. You know, it's very rare to find a character that that isn't Machiavellian or or deceitful or has a, <laughs> another motive. He literally is there. And I love the mystery of wondering how did Ned start what strings did he pull to get this guy out of retirement to come and work for him when he mm. could have had a much easier life just hanging out in the opulence of Bravos? I think that is, you know, what is it? And I love that because there is obviously something, you know, Ned knows another noble person, you know, he and there aren't that many. And he, mm. he you know, he talks about how dangerous King La King's Landing is and how he doesn't want his family there and how much he doesn't want to be the hand. So the only thing he can do is find someone he can trust and Syria is someone he can trust. We've discussed on the show before, might even have been in the first episode, um, Peter Dinklage was offered to audition for the role of Tyrion, but he had his doubts due to previous portrayals of dwarves in TV shows and films. And I did wonder, did you have the same sort of doubts in your mind yourself about how the character of Syria Pharrell might be adapted to screen and, you know, what that would, what that would sort of, what shape that would take? Um, I did, listen, we, we realised, we didn't know what the show was going to be like. We had no idea what, what, what that it would be even a success. What we did know was that HBO was making it and, I remember when we did the first read through of the first three episodes and we were all sitting in a spiral, huge room full of, you know, the great and the good of British theatre and mm. TV and film. And I was sitting next to Peter Vaughan and I was like, he was like saying to me, I was, we're sitting right at the end. And um, he said to me, I can, literally can't see, I'm blind. And so I've learned my lines, but you have to nudge me when my cue comes, will you will you nudge me every time I'm supposed to speak? Because I know my lines, I just can't read them in the script because I'm blind. 
And I went, all I could think of is like, I'm sitting next to Peter Vaughan, one of the greatest actors of, the, of his generation. And, 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 and then they, they spotted that I was sitting right at the end. Because I get really shy in situations like that. I never, I never mm. look for the attention. And I was sitting right at the end with him. And, and eventually David saw me and went, what are you doing over there? Come on, you're in the third episode. You've got to sit next to Maisie. And I was like, oh God, <laughs> stop it. So, 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 you know, I, I was, you know, that, and that was when we realised that we were in something very special because, you know, I'd never been part of something so huge. Um, mm. And because, you know, because of the success of The Sopranos and uh, Six Feet Under, mm. HBO had really created a reputation for making really, really good, thoughtful, intelligent, well, you know, well-realised shows. So we knew that we were in good hands. I mean, we had no idea that it was going to be it was going to be as successful as we as we was as it ended up being. Because in the UK, we had no idea of the of of how uh, uh, how much how loved George R R Martin's works were. Um, but yeah, so so it was very good in that respect. Did you? Um, I mean, you only had the um, three scenes. I take it you filmed. Did you film your scenes in chronological order? We did do them in chronological order. We did. Um, uh, but there was a big gap between the first scene and the last one. So we shot the first one in May. And then the second one uh, about two months later. And then the third one a month after that. I'd gone to Cyprus, got a tan. And, and, and everyone and was like, ah, you look different from the first episode we shot. <laughs> so they had to make me paler. <laughs> so that's um, how much time passed so um but obviously i had training in between all of that for, for you know learning the fights i think talking about the weight there because i was going to say like um when you landed the role that would have been what 2009 or because like there was the big gap between the original pilot which no one will ever see and yes. the pilot that eventually went out and there was about a year between that and they went back and did it all again so was this like you got the role they're doing the pilot no they're redoing they the, pilot, the pilot or... they made the pilot and they only cast the pilot right okay so they only cast the pilot and then it was a disaster and they thought they'd never make it and then they got the green light and then they cast the season but they only cast the pilot. So, so we didn't get involved until 2010. Um, I was thinking, um, because, your, because your role in the show is so brief, what do you think it is about whether it's something you brought to the role or whether it was something that was already in the character that jumped off the page at you? What do you think it is that makes a character who's only in three episodes and three scenes so popular that two years after the show is finished a Game of Thrones podcast that about 50 people listen to wants to get in touch with you and wants to speak to you. And like, what do you think it is that has made him so popular and has made him such a lasting, just such a, cause like in the first season when we were watching those episodes, I was waiting for Lizzie to come back to me and just sort of go like, oh, I love these scenes with Aya and Sirio and the sword play and all the language <laughs> around the kind of um, the, you know, the, the, 
when a, you know all men are made of water if you pierce them it dribbles out and all this kind of stuff what do you think do you think it's something you brought or or what <laughs> i would argue no, that it is it's got but, nothing you know. to do with me it's got nothing <laughs> to do with me it, it, that that was created uh through the writing it, it, he, he, he he you could tell when i was cast the excitement around that uh, no one knew who who the hell i was and and but but everyone knew who Sirio Pharrell was if you knew the books and so and so it's it's uh it's it's um trope i mentioned luke skywalker and obi-wan kenobi it's the same thing it's karate kid and mr miyaki it's the unconventional teacher who 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 sets the protagonist the hero on their quest usually they don't accompany them because Usually it's their death that triggers their the, the, the apprentice becoming the master. And that happens in Star Wars. It happens in, in fantasy um, and in archetypal stories throughout history. And I think George R.R. R. Martin tapped into the same thing, where you have the teacher who is the, 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 the dive, the, the launch pad for the protagonist in in my case it would be um aria stark and and that's what is so important it's also the fact that um it's you know becomes a revenge story and there's plenty of people to revenge for for aria but mm-hmm. but but it starts with um with with um with the death of someone that she actually loves even though she doesn't know him very well and um and I think that is is the creation of that dynamic in the story, which is, uh, and also you know because she never stops referring to his teaching all the way through the books. You know, you hear her, the mantra uh, is is repeated in her head regularly. You know, mm. it's the same with her connection with her wolf. You know, mm. her dire wolf. It's the same thing. It's like it's the reason why you don't know what happens to Syria. I have this theory, which is that. If you had seen his death, remember it's all shot through POV. So, so it, you know that the idea that you you understand uh, something about in the same way when when Obi Wan Kenobi, I'm really bigging up my part now. Um, <laughs> the same way that Obi Wan Kenobi doesn't actually get cut down; he just disappears. He becomes yeah. the Force. The same thing happens in Arya's mind. Sirio disappears, but he lives on as an echo. If she'd seen him hacked down, it would have been, there's a, some kind of trauma, which kind of is closure, which you don't get when you leave it open-ended. And I asked George this when, when because he wrote that episode, episode eight. Yes, he did. And I yes. said, why don't, you, why don't you do the thing that everyone has asked you to do, which is tell them what happened to Sirio? He says, because that's not the point of it. The point is you're not, it's supposed to be ambiguous. You know, because I wanted a, a fantastic death scene, but he wouldn't write it. <laughs> I would argue and, that um, you get one anyway. Holding off four or five blokes with a wooden sword, that's, uh, that's a hell of a feat. <laughs> and and saving Gary's life in the process. Yeah. Right? But anyway, and, yeah, exactly. But, yeah. But that's the reason, you know, it kind of keeps him alive in our head. Yeah, I was going to say the fact that, I mean, it's um, a rule, Lizzie, that you will come to know, which is that um, maybe like if you I remember, like it was a rule in the fan base that like you have you have to see somebody's corpse <laughs> to know <laughs> mm. and to, to not speculate. And I think that 
Yeah, I think you are totally right. And obviously George was completely right because he wrote it. But I always thought that when, I mean, I first watched season one in 2015. Um, so it was a while ago now. And I've seen the first season more times than I can count on my hands and toes. And so um, I, and over time, I have really come to think that as much as Sirio gets a good death scene anyway, and like, you know, like you were saying, you wanted to, you know, go out swinging, that kind of thing. I like the fact that you don't see it because it, like you say, it, maintains this level of pride and mystique and mentorship in Aya. It's a memory that she carries with her that, like you say, if you see somebody get cut down and realize that Syria is made of water as well, and then it's something that maybe it disappears and it maybe doesn't stay with her. And I think that's maybe why I mean, Aya, I mean, we, we were watching the first season and the amount of loss that Aya goes through in mm. a very short space of time. She has that very good friend of hers, Micah, the butcher's boy, who gets cut down in season, in episode two. And then you get Sirio cut down in episode eight and then Ned get in, cut off in um, episode nine. And, and don't forget Jory. And don't forget Jory Cassell as well, yeah. Who, who, who um, she is very eye. close to. Yes, um, in his um, also in his brief scenes, it's quite a lot. Of, it's, she is the person that he spends um, most time opposite, and but yeah, it's just like you say, we are just at the point now where and Yorin is another one that we've just lost yeah. as well. So that's five people already <laughs> at the start of Aya's life, where all it, all it is is just people losing people that she loves and people that she trusts and. But it's so we're just at the point now where she's starting to um, recite this list of hers. Uh, they're still at Harren Hall at this stage with uh, Tywin Lannister, where she's in the cells and she's, uh, you know, Joffrey, Cersei, the Hound, etc. Um, and it's, I mean, it's amazing watching Aya even at this really early stage picking up all the little things that she's learned along the way from all these little, she's taking little pieces of all the people that have mentored her and have been so rewarding to her and have been, and yeah, I mean, I guess, um, well, I suppose a question of mine is that um, it's kind of related to stuff that you did. Um, I'm really sorry for bringing this up if you're not um, into talking about it, but um, as part of my research for this, I watched a few episodes of Hubbub. Um <laughs> Which, uh, yeah, CVBC show Dude, man, from I'm proud of that. That, the was, late... that, was, that was a young, that was an amazing Good. Time. Well, that, no, that's summers, good. I'm really glad. in yeah. Edinburgh doing crazy, crazy stuff like that. It was, and Edinburgh's I a fantastic that. city as well. Um, Working with some of my favourite actors. Some of them, I bet they were actually my best friends. We all wrote it. It was all like a bit of a kind of like a, a bit of a loving. We just wrote this stuff for each other, so. Yeah, it's, it's some amazing, yeah, wonderful physical comedy in that. Um, I mean, yeah. I know that... Um, uh, the guy you were opposite, I forget his name, is Les Hogg, Les, right? Yeah. Um, he uh, was a mime artist. Mm, an amazing he, mime. So much of the the movements, I mean, I watched an episode where he's trying to pull you out of a cabinet, a filing <laughs> cabinet, um, and uh, the, the routines that you have to go through to get out of the filing cabinet was uh, was excellent. But I was wondering that, you know, with your experience of, kids tv and doing a lot of physical stuff did that um because you were working i was wondering what it's like to work opposite a kid in a show like game of thrones not just you know just working opposite a kid uh, working opposite a kid generally but working opposite as a kid in a a, a show involving sword play and involving sword fights 
Yeah, well, I'll answer that by by re referring uh, Les Bub, who in the Harry Potter films was the um, he got this awesome job working on the harry potter films he was everyone standing so when there was a a monster or a dude like the like um, robbie coltrane's you know hagrid or they had to spot something that didn't exist because of all the cgi les was the stand-in he would be performing dobby and ev every character oh wow any cgi and even the other characters when they weren't available you know um uh and and his job was to imagine all of these characters very physically because that's what he does so well and give something for the kids to react to so that they weren't just having mm. to use their imaginations not acting up it was a simpler. tennis ball or something. You can, yeah, exactly. You can imagine. And uh, and I remember saying to him, I said, Les, what is it like working with all those kids? And he was like, let me just put you straight, right? These may be young people, but they are not kids. They are more experienced at acting than I am. <laughs> They're like, wow. they may be youngsters, but they have been trained up to their eyeballs. And they really know what they're doing. They know what they're doing better than I do. I have to be told all about the technical stuff. They're all like completely on it. And I was like, really? And he was like, yeah, really. And, and that is exactly my experience of working with Maisie. Maisie had never, the difference is Maisie had never done acting before. This was her first job, but she was a performer in her own right. She was a fantastic dancer at school. And of course she was still at school. And uh, I always say that Maisie, uh, taught me quite a lot because as as an actor uh especially someone who is isn't the most relaxed actor in the world I actually get nervous I get very very nervous um you can be quite self self-conscious and you can overthink things and you can get in get ahead of yourself you know just because you're because you want it to be good and you want it to be right and you want to do a good job and sometimes all of this baggage that you bring uh you, the job of an actor is to remove it all to make it look like you know exactly what you're doing and that you're as cool as a cucumber and I know that that is how Sirio comes across but I guarantee you that inside when I was shooting those scenes I was not feeling <laughs> cool I was feeling like oh my god well it's something that I guess you know most people who um maybe That's watch tv but don't try to get into the finer points of it is how many you don't until you hear about it in interviews how many people are actually behind the camera in one of those like there could be like at any time like anywhere between like 20 and 50 people just kind of like in the room with you and it becomes a performance of itself in its own way like you would it's be also, back on stage yeah and it's also because you know you want to there's a you know there's a kind of strange I don't know. There's a strange thing, which is uh, going on to the reason why it's fantastic working with Maisie and what she bring what she brings to working with a 13 year old who is who is who doesn't have that baggage is that she's completely in the moment. She's in the moment. She's got nothing to compare it to. So mm -hmm. she is being absolutely authentic and real and, you know, and right there. And that is really all that acting is. You know, the old fashioned idea that acting is 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 some kind of pretense or some kind of uh, a layer that you put on top is that's all that doesn't exist anymore. That's like for the 
30s, acting is all about being authentic and how do you inhabit a, a character in as authentic a way, natural, natural way. It doesn't even matter if you're playing a character that is larger than life or belongs to sci-fi or fantasy. It's that's neither here nor there. That character has to have a reason to exist and you have to to imbue them with as much humanity as you can so that there is something to relate to. We have to relate to every character. That's what made it makes Game of Thrones so good because even the people that you hate, you can relate to because they give you an opportunity to see it. That's good writing and that's good acting. So, so, so Maisie had that and that's what you always try and remember and you always try and get get rid of all that worry and all that, uh, is this good enough? And just go, just react, just be in the moment, just, you know, just don't worry about it, just see what happens. And usually when you're that relaxed, good stuff comes. It's funny because um, we're currently watching, um, at the time of recording, um, we are currently watching season two where Maisie is currently opposite Charles Dance. And if I were to ever speak to him one day, I'd ask him the same question to see uh, if he had a very similar answer to yours and see if I could cross-reference it. I guarantee you he does. (laughs) Yeah. She does. She makes it really easy because, you know, you you don't have to worry about her. You just you just do your scene. And and she's like there. She's 100 percent there. And uh, and it and it and it stood the test of time. You know, she's she's smart Mm. girl. She's she she really has the right attitude to everything she does. And and, you know, it it says a lot because her mother is is awesome. Um, and uh, and you know he's a Bristol lass, so you know like you know <laughs> they're cool. Great city, Bristol uh, is a great yeah, city. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. so so you know I, I don't think she's ever lost it, and and I don't think she ever will. You know that's just part of the thing. Oh, so, how wonderful! That's that. No, that's really really excellent. Um, Lizzie, do you have um any further season one related questions or comments for? Oh Miltos? God, no. I mean. I mean it's just been it's been a pleasure to kind of speak to you it's you we were saying before about how these characters who only appear for less than a season but they just leave this indelible mark on the tapestry of the show it's, it's not just yourself it's you know Robert Baratheon and Carl Drogo and all of these these characters without without them the show would not be the same and you're like you say you're only around for three episodes, and you can't imagine the show without it. It's very so, kind yeah. of you to say. It's very kind of you to say. And it was, you know, it's a real honor, and I feel so proud of being part of that show. You know, I was really proud of that. I, what I did. It's always nice mm-hmm. when you see, watch yourself because I I hate watching myself. Um, uh, I know a lot of actors say that, but I genuinely don't watch myself. And and of course, I have watched myself a lot in this show because, of, <laughs> you know, I've all been in com- at conventions where they show these scenes over and over again. And I have to say that I watch it and I and I even I go, yeah, that's pretty cool. <laughs> that's really me saying a lot when I say that. As well, you should. Oh.